Welcome to Elixir Mix, your Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and on our panel today, we have Josh Adams. Hey. And Sophie DiBenedetto. Hello. And today, we are joined with our special guest, Devin Estes. Howdy, everybody. So we've had Devin on the show before, and uh, those have been great episodes. Uh, you can go ahead and check the back catalog for those. I kind of links to those in the show notes. But uh, today, we want to talk about uh, some recent blog articles that you've put out, which were super interesting for me because uh, I've always... So Credo, as many of you may know, is a, uh, a library community uh, project uh, that lets us do static code analysis, uh, mainly for convention. And Devin did an, some awesome articles on how we can write custom Credo checks. And this is something that's always been interesting to me. And I thought, no, I, would, I, I could think of cases where I might want to do that, but I've never actually gone so far as to do that. So I'm excited to be able to talk about it, like how we can approach that, maybe some ideas for things we could do, how we could use that in our projects and our teams. So Devin, before we jump into that, why don't you tell us kind of where you work and what kind of problems you're solving, a little bit about kind of what you're doing. Cool. So uh, for the last, uh, gosh, eight years, I have been a freelancer, but starting in January of this year, I joined the team at Sketch. So uh, Sketch is a, a pretty big uh, design tool. They, for the pretty much the majority of their existence, been a, a Mac application only, but uh, pretty recently they added a cloud component to that. So uh, uh, they're working on some collaboration tools and things like that to help designers and developers work uh, together more easily and work together better and also to help uh, you know teams of developers work together and uh, so that's what I'm working on these days is uh, the back end on that that's a, an Elixir application and uh, uh, yeah so solving collaboration and uh, and you know file processing there's a whole lot of file processing going on uh, image processing stuff like that of course so uh, that's the, the majority of what I'm working on for work these days. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Very cool. That sounds interesting. Uh, so I, yeah, when we talked to you before, you were uh, doing the consulting thing, and I had seen on Twitter where you joined Sketch. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. so I'm glad to hear that that's a good move for you. So uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on Credo and kind of what it is and uh, what kind of drove you to investigate doing custom checks so uh credo is a i mean gosh i don't really know what renee calls it anymore but he sort of calls it like your your computer pair programmer you know uh it's something that will help guide and educate you to help uh try and keep a code base consistent in some ways it's highly configurable you can choose to take whatever checks you want uh, but it, it allows you to sort of enforce or guide, you know, you don't have to actually enforce uh, a style guide, but it can help you guide you towards uh, a consistent style in an application. And uh, it, it's 
extremely extensible and extremely useful in many other ways beyond just style. Like there are some checks that are, you know, security warnings, things like not uh, turning untrusted input into atoms or like using the, like, uh, you know, instead of just stringed atom, but string to existing atoms, stuff like that. So there are already some checks like that that go beyond just style or convention. And then it's completely configurable to do any other sort of check that you want. Uh, the ability to have custom checks and plugins has been in Cradle for a long time. And Rene has been developing that further as well. So that's something that I've uh, for a long time been a big fan of because these are the sorts of things that our computers are really, really good at. They're really, really good at like walking in ASD and looking for patterns in that ASD and then telling you if something doesn't line up. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of making those sorts of tools and I, I find it to be really helpful for saving time and uh, you know stuff that you don't need to look at in a review when you're reviewing PRs. It's just really, really nice and it can allow you to make lots of really specific like team or application specific checks so that y'all know that you're doing what you need to do. If there are specific things that your team needs to do, then you can encode that rather than having to have a human remember to check for it in a PR review, which is both sort of a waste of time and highly inaccurate. Yeah. One of the other uh, things I think happens is uh, when a person is saying, oh, you should do this, this little niggly thing that's you know, super not important, but it's, you know, it's like nitpicking, right? And, and it can really kind of chafe and kind of rub people the wrong way, maybe create, even create a little conflict within the team. So, and, and it can keep people from doing proper reviews because they don't want to be that nitpicker. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be in that situation either. Right. So being able to have a tool that's automated and the person, the developer can have a kind of conversation with it as they're running it on their, on their uh, feature branch or having the CI system running it and failing a merge request, you know, things like that. I think it just kind of pushes it more towards education and less from uh, interpersonal conflict. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things is you can hook it into your uh, editor. So like I get that feedback when I'm working live, I, I almost never have uh, like these things that I need to fix in uh, CI because I get it when I'm working in my editor. And it's great because it it's way easier to resolve one or two things as you're doing it than you do this huge PR and then you go to CI and you have like 40 things to resolve. That's so annoying. I'd much rather work live and get that feedback live of, you know, in the same way that we have the compiler integration saying like, you know, this module doesn't exist or this function doesn't exist. It warns you about typos and stuff uh, to get that sort of feedback when you hook Credo or these sorts of tools into your editors is to me a huge time, time benefit, like a time saver and also just nicer. It's just nice. Yeah. In VS code, I have a, a, key combination that just takes me to the next problem in the problems list. And when you've got all this stuff wired in, then you can just do that and fix stuff like so fast. Nice. So maybe you guys can share with us what you're using to have that auto run in your editor. And like, you know, is that sounds like VS code for Josh. Is that the same for you, Devin? No, I use Vim and that's, uh, so I'm on Vim eight and then there's this like, there's NeoVim, there's Vim8, but it allows you to run async stuff in the background. And that's what happens whenever I save a buffer. It runs that and just drops a little notification in the gutter if there's something. And I can, you know, go to that line and it gives me more information. But usually I sort of know what it is. And uh, But yeah, on save, it just is runs. That, uh, that's just a language server integration, right? Uh, no. 
So now you language, have a, okay. Yeah, the language That's server doesn't ale. have Credo. But yeah, this is a, um, a COC, I think they call it. Okay, uh, yeah, that's Docker, yeah the COC or, plugin. Yeah. Uh, it's been a little while. It used to be NeoMake, but then I moved over to COC when I moved over to the language server because that was a better integration for the Elixir language server. I didn't use the Elixir language server for like the longest time. I only started using it uh, in January, and I've been pretty happy and pleased with it. But... Uh, to the best of my knowledge, that doesn't hook into Credo yet. I still need some sort of async task runner to run something, uh, and that's what I have uh, is uh, COC. So whenever I save a buffer or open a buffer, it'll run Credo just for that buffer, just for that file, and uh, all of the warnings and information pops up in the gutter for me, and I can fix it right there. Cool. What about you, Josh? How are you running it? Uh, yeah, so I just have the VS Code Elixir language server thing and whatever is running. I, I don't know what's running Credo. Some plugin somewhere is running Credo for me, but it's uh, it's nice. Well, cool. That's I, great. Yeah, I've not, I've not set up my Vim to do uh, any of that yet. That's shameful for me. <laughs> so one of the things I think would be cool is just to kind of give people an idea, kind of start their minds thinking like, what are some things that you've seen or thought of, uh, like checks that you could have custom done that would, might be appropriate from a team or a, a company, but not necessarily like this is what Credo should do for everyone. You know, it's like a I have default. I have a fun example because it's what made me really happy when Credo came on the scene. Uh, we wrote a macro back in the day for a project because certain modules that we plugged in had to have some interaction, but we couldn't really determine what it was with this other module. So we had another module that you had to send something to, or else you weren't doing your job. So we just added an invariant with a with a macro that would fail the compile if we didn't do that. And it would be so much easier to do that with Credo. Uh, so that makes me really happy that it makes that sort of, that sort of thing possible without all the stuff I went through. Cool, yeah, for us, we actually at uh, Sketch, one of the things that they've been trying to do more is to get more involved in open source, especially since I've been there. That's one of the things that I think in like February, the, the the sort of owners, CEO, you know, the people that make the decisions at the company, the two founders, uh, they said that that was one of the goals for the year. And uh, we actually open sourced a set of Credo checks that we use uh, that we call Nicene. Uh, it's up on Hex too. I mean, it's not, we're not ready to have contributors just yet because I, you know, I kind of pushed them to do it just to get the ball rolling so we don't have like the legal stuff for a contributor agreement set up yet but uh, it, there's all the examples of the sorts of checks that we're adding there um, and those are things like for me uh, and I think is sort of important is for a file to read from top to bottom so like uh, if you know function A calls function B then function A is defined above function B and if function B calls function C Etc. So that the file reads top to bottom within a file. So like that's one example of something we have. We also have uh, uh, a, a check to make sure that we are documenting the GraphQL schema that we have. So it basically saying like every object and every field needs documentation. That's a really great easy one, and it'll you know fail if we're not documenting things. Uh, also, like putting public functions above private functions, so you have your public API defined in a module before all of the private functions. Uh, things like, uh, oh, so one thing is like not using a case statement if you're only ever matching on true, like use an if instead. So like if 
a equals b instead of like case a equals b true as the first condition and then something and then you know either false as the second statement or usually just ignoring the second statement doing the underscore match everything thing uh so stuff like that um and then there are also more specific things like um i know of some people that will say like for example like there's that common pattern of sort of like wrapping the basic uh, ecto or phoenix uh, stuff. So there's, you know, use ecto schema for schemas, but then sometimes someone will have like use myapp.schema where myapp.schema defines some custom stuff that's supposed to be used across the entire application. You can write a custom check to make sure that people use that instead of using ecto schema directly. So that, for example, if they're like, if you're setting primary keys to be uh, UUIDs instead of integers, and you have to set that little module attribute, that, that directive, uh, that people don't forget to do that, and then you end up with inconsistent primary keys where like one table has integers and all the rest of them have uh, UUIDs. So uh, they can really help to make for stuff like that. Um, so those are just some examples, but like I, I'm adding more and more to those as we can because it's just like these are things that computers are great at there's no reason that we should be uh struggling to review this stuff manually we can offload so much of this work to computers hey folks this is charles maxwood and over the last few years i've gotten to know a lot of great people within the microsoft community and specifically in the net area uh, one of our guests from javascript jabber Sean Clabo actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. That's really cool. I like those ideas. Uh, like some of those things are, you, you know, you do think about like, you know, just good code design. It's like, you know, how do I lay out my functions? Like what's the order of them? Like the public interface first. I think that's great. It's like stuff that you just kind of uh, maybe have de developed intuitively over time, just with experience with different projects. You're like, yeah, that's just the way I do it. But yeah, not everyone does it that way. And sometimes I might forget and just not even be aware as I do a refactor. So it's, I think those are great. I love that. The cool, the cool thing is just knowing that you can like layer these extra invariants on the on the code base and say like I have the tool, I can just write the thing, and we can have this forever in the future. Yeah, and some of these beyond just being you know things that are personal or team preferences can also highlight potential design issues. So like the the uh, public functions first thing. That one, every now and then, you'll get a, into a situation where you have a public function that calls a private function, and then a private function that calls another public function. And when you have a private function that calls a public function, that tells you that something is maybe a little funny. Like maybe something needs to be abstracted there. Maybe one of those functions shouldn't be public, something like that. So uh, they can give you more than just more feedback than just like move these functions around. I mean, that's usually the case. But it's not always the case, and it's actually quite helpful, I think, to uh, to get that sort of feedback because there are times where it can highlight those uh, those potential design or abstraction uh, not mistakes or errors, but but indications that maybe something could be improved. 
uh, I, I think it's really valuable for that as well. I'd be curious to hear about what the process was like for you and your team as you developed some of these custom checks, because, you know, absolutely, as, as you and as we said earlier, it's such a, it's more of like a social engineering problem, like everybody loves to have opinions about, um, you know, these little, I say little in quotes, because they're not little uh, code design issues. So yeah, I mean, what was that like for you guys? Did it go smoothly? Um, yeah. So the process went smoothly, given the constraints that we currently have at Sketch. So the, the, one of the bigger issues is that the team is also extremely new as a whole. The, this application started off being developed by a consultancy because Sketch didn't even know. Like this was a total MVP where they said, you know, let's build something small and quick and easy and put it in front of customers, make sure it's what they want. And then if it is, we'll hire a team, bring it on, and this will be the back end. And so that's what we're in the process of building up the team. But it also means we're in the process of adding all kinds of workflow stuff and like actually making CI really good and adding stuff like this to make sure that the quality of the code is, is good, improving test coverage. So the fact that there was already a lot changing and there's still a lot changing, like we're still hiring very fast, we're still making a lot of improvements and changes to the the CI and CD pipeline process and like the review process and deploy process, there's a lot of changes going on. So adding these changes was uh, another sort of, uh, I mean, not straw on the camel's back because that's a bad thing. It was, it was another thing for people to deal with. Uh, but one of the best things that we did to fix that is we wrote a custom uh, mix task that will only run Credo on the files that have changed since the last merge commit. So basically, whatever you've touched in your PR, that's what you need to fix so that we can incrementally add these, um, add these new rules without having these huge PRs. Because that's the thing is like when you add a new rule and you want to enforce it in CI, you have to go and fix it everywhere. But if you only run it on uh, the files that have been changed in your current PR, like basically since the, the previous merge commit, then you can do it incrementally. So as you touch a file, you clean that file up. It's a little bit of work, but it's not a whole ton versus having to deal with like long lived branches and big merge conflicts because some PR has touched like 150 files. Uh, you know, like that's no fun. So that was been, uh, that was, I think, the, the biggest, most helpful thing in this is that it, allows us to do it incrementally uh, and also it will mean that the files that are the most important because they're being touched most frequently will get fixed first if there's some file that never gets touched in the next three years then it doesn't matter if like it doesn't read top to bottom or if there isn't a module doc on it then like clearly it doesn't matter we haven't touched this file in two years uh, but it i think that's a really really helpful way of of adding these checks is to have something like that that only runs it on the uh, previous, uh, previously changed files. Yeah, I think that's so critical. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that your team thought that up because I've definitely been on teams where we've like turned off Hound because it was too noisy or really just, and it was too noisy uh, and kind of hindering the progress of the team because it was just, uh, you know, yowling as hounds are wont to do about things that aren't important or that files we haven't touched in a long time. So the ability to do it incrementally, I imagine, would be a huge sell for any teams who perhaps are listening to this and considering doing a more intentional credo integration. 
Yeah. And luckily it's not even a lot of code. It's like, it's like six lines of code or something to shell out to Git and get the right, the right list of files. And then basically turn that into the list of files that you pass to Credo when you run the task. And that's like it. Uh, I think you do need to be on Credo 1.2 to specifically include more than one file, but that's the only requirement. Other than that, it's pretty easy. Yeah, I think there's also definitely something to be said for the situation you've described in which things were sort of new to begin with and you started to prioritize this kind of code analysis like very early on as the team was forming and as the product was forming because I've also definitely been on teams where we kind of treat this kind of tooling like static code analysis as like a nice to have. Um, oh, maybe eventually when we have a little bit of breathing room, we'll kind of come back in and, and add some of these tools. But you've described it as being, uh, it's kind of like a partnership that you're entering into as a developer with a tool like this. It's like, as you said, your pair programming buddy and you can be running it constantly or automatically as you're developing um, to kind of create better practices out the gate. And I would definitely recommend thinking of it that way instead of like experiences that I've had, as I said, where it's like, yeah, later on, we'll get to it when we get to it. So one of the things I wanted to talk about with your recent blog posts. So you had an older blog post originally from like August, 2018 and your more recent one from January, 2020, uh, where you expanded on the topic and really started covering testing as well. And one of the things I really liked about the, the newest addition to your to that series, you know, it's an unintentional series, I guess, but was just like, really, you made it practical. It's like, these are the things you do. This is the code you write. This is how you can uh, pattern match on an AST. And I thought that was really uh, a great uh, resource for people to start with. And I thought uh, I want to make sure people are aware of it. Another thing I learned from your article, which I hadn't realized, is that there's a, uh, a, a generator for creating a, a credo check. Like, so it's like mixcredo.gen.check, right? Yeah. So uh, Renee has those uh, helpers in there for generating uh, a new check. Uh, I think there's also maybe one coming for generating a whole plugin. So there's this new concept of like a credo plugin, which is a series of checks uh, that you can have as uh, like its own hex package rather than just, it used to be that a custom check was just a module that you defined in your application somewhere. And when Credo was run, you could you have the configuration file and you would just say, you know, use that module as a check and it just is a module that implements a behavior. But uh, so there was that and there's also still that. And I think there's also a new way to generate a, a plugin now as well so that you can define a set of checks if you want and you can configure those plugins uh, however you need pretty much in the same way that you used to be able to configure checks in your credo configuration that dot uh, credo dot exs file and yeah so you can use that uh, to get you started and but really you're just like it's pretty simple you just need to define a module that has a single function you know almost like plug like these really really simple behaviors uh, and you can get a lot of helpers uh, either from the generator the, the mixed task or from just like copying pasting one of the other ones which is really what I do I don't I don't actually use the generator all that much I just copy and paste what I had because frankly so many of these are so similar that you get a lot of value in that or having like a they're all really similar, but they're just different enough to where you want to copy and paste rather than trying to abstract some function. Uh, because abstracting functions to like walk an AST or 
to do something like that, they're almost always just different enough to where it's really annoying <laughs> and they don't change in the same way. So really copying and pasting is your friend when, when doing this. Uh, yes, there may be duplication. There may be a lot of things that are very similar, but like trying to unify the abstraction of uh, like, for example, getting a, a map of all of the functions and arities defined in a module is harder than one might think uh, uh, depending on context and like, well, what if I have a module definition within a module? And what about if I have a def impl inside one of those or things like that? So like, there's enough little wrinkles in there to where I really recommend copying and pasting uh, between other ones if you have them. Uh, but yeah, it's, they're, they're all really, really similar. It's basically one function that operates on a file, either on the file's AST or the actual lines of uh, code in that file as text. And you go through that and then you decide if something's wrong or not. It's, it's a, a pretty simple, uh, high-level concept. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So I, I just want to mention to you, dear listener, like if you're looking for something to copy and paste from, check out his article and also check out the repo that he has, which is in the show notes. It's Nicene, N-I-C-E-N-E, -E, where it has a bunch of custom checks that have been written as a, maybe a good place to start for like, oh, this is something similar to where I want to start. Maybe that's a good copy paste to begin from. The best place is also Credo itself. Credo has like, like 60 or more checks at this point. So, you know, it's open source, go nuts, read, copy, paste. If there's something you could potentially want to check for, I can almost guarantee you there is a similar check in Credo that you can use as the starting point. Uh, and most of those are pretty well uh, isolated. There's not a whole lot of like internal modules that they need because it is mostly just AST parsing or regexes. So uh, yeah, take a look at Credo too because all of that stuff is there and, and there's a whole ton of examples, way more there than anywhere else. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered a lot of great stuff there and given people uh, some resources they can follow up with if that's something they're interested in. Is there anything else you want to mention before we go to picks? Yeah. Uh, so yesterday, actually, aside from like Credo and stuff, one of the other things I really like is testing. And I am 
currently doing a little bit of an experiment, kind of. So I started a Kickstarter yesterday for a mutation testing library for Elixir and Erlang. It's something that I would really love to have in the community and would love to write. But the thing is, uh, the proof of concept is very easy, but to make something that you can actually use is actually a ton of work. And uh, I am you know, lucky enough to be able to donate some of my time to open source, but like a project like this, that's going to be, you know, 20 hours, 30 hours a month for a long amount of time just to like get the basics done. And then probably a fair amount of time after that, I'm hoping to actually have like some way of funding it because that is a lot of time. It is like a second job. So I'm doing a Kickstarter to see if there are enough people interested in having it to justify me spending the time of making it rather than, you know, spending six months of my life making something that nobody actually wants or is willing to pay for. So uh, maybe there will be a link to that in the show notes as well. But that's the thing. If, if anyone is interested in testing and mutation testing specifically, uh, that is a thing that I'm running until the 25th. No, no, longer than that has like another 25 days. So hopefully before this comes out uh, or after this comes out. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's sort of it for me because I was going to do a testing workshop at ElixirConf EU, but that's, that's not happening now. So uh, I mean, for very good reason, I should say, like it was a very a good, good choice to move it. And unfortunately the date they moved it to, I won't be able to attend. But uh, hopefully next year I'll be able to do that workshop. This is um, something I've been looking forward to doing. And uh, like I said, testing is something I, I really like. And I think uh, we're lucky enough to have really great testing tools already in Elixir. So I love, I love teaching testing because we have such great stuff to work with. So is that lib- or the project called Muzak? Is that the one? That's the idea. We'll see if it happens. Uh, I mean, it, lo- and I put it in the show notes. Cool. I yeah. don't know if this will come out in time for people to see it while it's still live. Uh, maybe we can mention on Twitter still. Uh, so you should we'll be following see. us on Twitter to make sure you get like these like announcements, but while stuff is still like, you know, legit and like, you know, it hasn't happened yet. So I'm at Brainlid, B-R-A-I-N-L-I-D, like, you know, flip top on the top of your head. All right, Sophie, you want to get your Twitter out there? Yeah, sure. You can absolutely find me on Twitter. It's SM underscore D Benedetto, uh, which is phonetic, but it's a long one. So D E B E N D E T T O. Yeah. Love to hear from anybody that wants to chat about Elixir. Josh. You can find me at Knuter or Neuter, K N E W T E R. And Devin, if people want to get in touch with you regarding something we've talked about on the show today, perhaps around mutation testing, perhaps around just they want to follow you online, where should they go? Uh, Twitter is a good one. Uh, so that's Devin Estes. Uh, sorry, Devin C. Estes on Twitter. So D-E-V-O-N-C-E-S-T-E-S. Uh, but then there's also my website. So devinestes.com. And uh yeah, those are mainly it. And email is the thing too. I got links to my email on, on my website if people want to email me, but those are pretty much the ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. All right, well, let's go to picks. Sophie, do you want to go first? Sure, yeah. I have just one pick uh, this time around, and it's a recent blog post that I came across on the Honeycomb blog. So Honeycomb, for anyone that's unfamiliar, is an observability service observability company that was founded uh, a couple years back and observability is kind of like my new 
my new hobby that I'm starting to learn about and becomes very fascinated by. But this is a really interesting article by Charity Majors, who is awesome. She is the co-founder and CTO of Honeycomb. And she, in this article, is talking about uh, the future of software as a socio-technical problem. So this idea that technical problems are never just technical, and social problems are never just social, because the systems that we build and maintain and work on today are socio-technical. And I thought it was a really, really interesting perspective that really resonated, certainly with experiences that I've had as an engineer. So definitely recommend checking it out. Cool. Josh, how about you? have one. It is a Twitch channel. It's Dylan Kearns, who is the author of Elm Pages and uh, an Elm Markdown library that is phenomenal, um, and Elm GraphQL. Basically, all of my favorite Elm libraries, the author of that does live streaming now, and it's great. Nice. All right, I've got uh, one. Uh, so I had a, a desktop computer that is like a hand-me-down one that I turned into like a family computer, like kids would do you know, assignments on, like in the kitchen area and it died. And so I had to get a replacement. And uh, so I've found a device online called Mintbox 2. It's a mini computer. Uh, here's the, an Amazon link to it. And no, it is not an affiliate link. Uh, but it is a, uh, it, it's, it's a small computer that's all solid state. There's no work, no, no mechanical movement at all. It has heat sinks on top of it. So it's not a high power. It's not like a, you know, this is going to like be an awesome gaming rig. It's like, no, it has a built-in Intel uh, video chip. But what it does is it's a great family computer, you know? So like you can do web and, you know, I've even got like, uh, like Minecraft set up on it for, for the kids and it works great for that. And it was just super small, $350 for like the, the eight gig RAM version one. And uh, so I'm happy with it. Uh, it's been, it was super easy to set up because I wanted Linux on it anyway, and it came with Linux Mint installed already, so I knew everything would work perfectly. So that was it for me. Devin, how about you? Cool. So uh, I have two. They're kind of related. Uh, one is just taking it easy and doing less things this is something that I could pick recently. Like I, I had had a very busy beginning of the year because I was like, okay, I have this this talk at Landa Days in Krakow in February, and then I have to do my American taxes, and then I have this training in April, and then my German taxes, and I'm going to be really busy. And then the, you know, April or February finished, and that was great. And then April was canceled, and now I find myself, like, not having something to do at night, which is really nice, like, for the first time in a long time, uh, because I've had these other responsibilities. So, like... Do less stuff if you can. It's very nice. And I think, I mean, for a while, I felt sort of guilty that I wasn't doing something. Like I had open open source stuff that I was like, I should do this. It was like, no, I'm not. Uh, and especially given uh, how, how hectic things are for a lot of people right now, really take it easy. Like you don't have to be doing open source at night or on the weekends. Uh, have some downtime if you want. And uh, related to downtime, my, my wife and I watched the second season of this show uh, called Kingdom or The Kingdom. Yes. Maybe, oh my God, Netflix. Kingdom. Yes. Ugh. I'm like halfway through it, my partner and I, the second season. Yeah. Uh, so, timely, sort of. I don't know. It's great. I'll stop. They, they have amazing hats and really that good acting. Yeah. Like, there are so many times where I was like, look at that hat. I didn't know that hats were such an important part of like, like late eight, uh, 
19th century Korean fashion or something. I'm assuming, given that this is a Korean show, that they're being historically accurate within the constraints of the fact that it's like a zombie show. So historically accurate gets air quotes, but like maybe <laughs> just for costuming. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really well done show with great acting and like uh, pretty good like fight scenes and like uh, uh, like the action sequences are well choreographed and shot really beautifully. And, uh, you know, the story itself is interesting. There's a lot of like political drama behind it. So it, it scratches a lot of, of itches in a lot of different realms, depending on the types of stuff you like. But I've, I really enjoyed it. And I found it was like very, very, very entertaining. Yeah, I'll plus one that. It has everything. It has royal intrigue. It has medical mysteries. It has zombies. It has hats. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's oh, awesome it's not one i've heard of so i will have to see what that's all about all right well Devin, i had a lot of fun talking with you thank you for coming on and sharing with us uh kind of some of the the stuff you've been exploring and playing with uh and especially around credo and how that can be a real benefit to our teams so that's it for today thank you for listening and we we hope you'll join us next time on elixir mix bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.